0: Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, the Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on Desi 1250 AM, radio that listens to
1: you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Talks Immigration on DC 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us. We are live on air at DC 1250 AM. If you're on the radio, it's 1250 AM, the, the dialing button. If you are tuning in from a website and you or you want to tune in from a website, it's www.desi1250am.com. If you have the app, you can get the app from uh, the, the Google Play um, App Store and iPhone app. Uh, app store and the app is called Desi 1250 AM. We are live on Facebook as well with a wonderful guest and I cannot wait to introduce you to her. She has some amazing things to share. Um, And today uh, we are going to talk about all the things that my guest will share, but I want to remind you about two important things. Number one, today is the primary election day. If you haven't gotten your vote in, make sure you do. And I want to give a shout out to some of our Desi 12.50 12.50 a.m. friends, Meenal Ghasemir, who is running for city council position in Sammamish, uh, Rituja Indapur, also running in Sammamish. Very, very important seat, Manka Dingra is running for state senate, um, Uzma Butte is running for uh, city council position in Kirkland, my dear friend Vandana Slatter, who has actually been on the show before, is running for a position for a state representative, And uh, last but not least, Preeti Sridhar, she is running for a port commissioner position. So all of you voters out there of Desi 1250 AM listeners, please make sure you get your votes out. And these are the names of our Desi 1250 AM friends. If you have questions, comments, you can always ask me. Uh, You can email us at contact at Desi 1250 AM. And also my law firm email is info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. The other thing I want to remind you is... um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a special event on Facebook called uh called uh, Tamina Talks Immigration with the Seattle mayoral um, candidates and it was a very successful event, it was the first kind of show that we had done on that level we had uh, the six front runner uh, candidates on the show and what our Desi 1250 AM station manager Dustin has done he has segmented out the questions uh, questions and answers for, for the entire panel so they're 10 minute segments approximately and they are running on the Desi 1250 drive time uh, show in the afternoon. So likely you'll be able to catch at least one or two of them this afternoon uh, if you needed a reminder of who the candidates are and what they stand for when it comes to immigration issues. If you have questions or comments, just generally you can you've, you're very welcome to email us at contact at 1250 a.m. But remember, there's a phone number here as well. It is 844 301 1250. 844 301 1250. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is Tamina talks immigration. So, I want to introduce you to our wonderful guest. This is Nikki Smith. She's the Executive Director of the International Rescue Committee in Seattle. And uh, she has a a long background of good things that she's done, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that before I speak with her. Nikki has more than 25 years of progressively responsible professional experience with non-governmental organizations in crisis-affected countries, of which 12 years have been spent in conflict and post-conflict settings. Prior to her role as Executive Director at the IRC in Seattle, Nikki was responsible for establishing and managing new country programs for the IRC. Her, exper- her areas of expertise include emergency preparedness, preparedness- and response, country program management, refugee policy and advocacy, and strategy and changing, change planning. Nikki joined the IRC in 2003. From 2007 to 10, she was a member of the IRC's Washington, D.C. office, working to educate policymakers and the public about the importance of providing resources for humanitarian and development assistance in Africa and Asia, and promoting programs that prevent violence against women and girls. From 2000- 2003 to 7 she worked in some of the organization's most sensitive situations including managing the IRC's single largest country program Sudan and serving as the IRC country director in Liberia during a key moment in the peace process before joining the IRC Nikki worked for almost 10 years with Doctors Without Borders and Children's Aid Direct in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Afghanistan, Somalia, Iraq, Pakistan and Nepal, amongst other countries. Wow. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, you are a true humanitarian who is really helping the most vulnerable people in the world.
0: Yeah, it's been a life cause for me, and, and by the way, this is where it sounds like Brits are dominating. The yes, airwaves, today is a isn't? British yay! day in America. Brits yay! dominate. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it was a real calling for me, and uh, my 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 parents had. Business overseas. My mother was raised in East Africa, so I wouldn't say I had a typical British upbringing. So I always had Africa in my life, and and felt really the need to visit. Uh, and I took a year out between school and university when I was eighteen. I went to Egypt for one year, which was was quite mind blowing for me to go from an all girls boarding school to then being in Cairo by myself. Oh my goodness! Yes,
1: wow. And uh, how Ki- long were
0: you there? I was there for one year. Okay. So and Cairo is actually a huge destination for refugees, okay. and that's where I first got involved with refugees uh, from the Hornies in East Africa, you know Somalia, Sudan for example and that really changed my life after befriending and working with refugees and I decided that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
1: So how, so people may not know what the International Rescue Mm. Committee is but before I ask you what that is, how did you get involved?
0: so I in the International Rescue Committee so you know I was working for two other organizations beforehand I was working for Doctors Without Borders I worked for them for seven and a half years and that was amazing an amazing experience but I wanted to do more than just healthcare. you know when you're in the field and you have people coming in and they're needing help and you're only able to work on the health aspects and yet the the issues are often the solutions are often holistic Mm -hmm. you know you need education you need livelihoods Mm -hmm. so I felt like I needed to work for other organization and there were very few at that point that I wanted to join and I respected uh, IRC a handful really IRC was one of them I interviewed and Got off of the job and, and really felt like it fitted my, you know, ethical and moral compass, and my and I felt really fulfilled working with the IRC.
1: Well, wonderful. Well, lucky for the IRC and the community to have you. You. Um, you know, so our listeners assume they may not know much about IRC. Why don't you tell them a little bit about it? Yeah, so
0: I call us the best-known secret in town, the, be- the best kept secret in town, rather. So we've been uh, around for actually eighty-four years. It was our birthday on Monday last Monday, and we were started at the request of a refugee, Albert Einstein. And it was during the problems in uh, Germany, in Europe, with Nazi Germany and refugees fleeing to France and other places, and so that was where we started, and we've really gone from one crisis to the next. We're a very unusual organization in the fact that we work domestically as well as internationally. So we work in more than 40 countries around the world, providing critical life-saving support, helping people rebuild their lives after conflict or natural disaster, and then we also work in 29 cities in the U.S., and we are one of nine resettlement agencies here in the United States, resettling refugees who have been approved for resettlement uh, in the in the U.S. by the U.S. government.
1: So which country was it founded in, in the U.S.? So it was founded by the U.S., but we really started
0: our first programs in France. Actually, oh. Vichy occupied France in Marseille. Yeah. And there was an amazing guy called Varian Fry, uh, who's quite remarkable. I, I recommend everybody Google him. He was a true Renaissance How do you spell man. How his name? V-A-R-I-N and then Gray, G-R-A-Y. Uh, And he was a really remarkable human being. And he went down to Marseille, And he had actually visas, approved visas by the US government to help people who were being targeted by Nazi, you know, by Germans, by Nazis at that point, to help them come to the United States. And they were artists or political activists, uh, obviously, a lot of Jews within that group. And then when he got there, he realized that many more were in trouble. And so he started an underground movement, helping smuggle people out of France and into Spain, which at that point was far safer. So he was a true hero. He's, if anyone's, ever been to the Holocaust Memorial Museum. He's mentioned in there. Uh, It was then called the Emergency Rescue Committee. And it was later that we changed our name to the International Rescue Committee.
1: You know, I have a whole bunch of prepared questions, but it it occurs to me to ask you this. What you've just described in the Nazi era, are you seeing parallels with what's happening today? Well, that's a great
0: point, because one of the things that's quite dramatic right now is the sheer level of displacement in the world. And we haven't seen this level of displacement since World War Two. So gives me
1: goosebumps. Yeah. So
0: for us, for me in particular, you know, being a European, my family, I'm sure that like your family were impacted by World War Two in particular. My grandfather was in a, captured in a prison of war camp for five years. So World War Two is very close to, to Europeans. I think um, probably a bit more so than than Americans because you know we were being bombed so constantly. And so you know, seeing those parallels between that level of displacement then, and, and, and yet we still have the same issues now and we're supposed to be a far more sophisticated uh, and a better world to be in and so you know that that concerns me and it concerns me even greater because of the current environment for refugees and immigrants and the fact that you know we we don't have solutions for some of the major conflicts in the world and that's one of the reasons why you know if you looked at displacement 10 years ago it was 20 million we're now over 65 million people displaced in the world we've got four major famines online right now which are actually man-made so 20 million people are affected by those famines internationally. And yet we still have, you know, what is it, more than six years that Syria has been going as a crisis. We have Afghanistan that's still not resolved. South Sudan, you know, we've got all these crises, which is displacing people every single day. And yet we're slamming our doors on these people who, you know, really need help and really need safety and, and uh, sanctuary
1: bring up a good point and I'm going to come to it a little bit later about the US's you know stance on refugees at the moment but I think listeners would be interested and you probably know this off the top of your head if there were five countries that were at the top of the list of being displaced yeah what would they be well you
0: know it's it's crazy because actually you know there are three countries that are th- three countries that really derive more than 50% of the world's refugee numbers
1: three countries which one yeah is? so can you guess well I'm going to say Syria yep um
0: begins with an A.
1: Afghanistan.
0: Afghanistan. And okay. Somalia.
1: Somalia. Yeah,
0: those three countries uh, derive more than 50% of the world's refugees, which is, is is ridiculous. And obviously, Iraq creates refugees as well. But then, you know, when a lot of fact, one fact that people are really not familiar with and, you know, being a Brit and an American, I became an American in 2015, which was on 9-11, which was a particularly moving High day. High five for that. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you, immigration lawyers. Love you. And um, so, yeah, so I, I got the chance to vote last year, um, which was one of my first times to vote uh, in mm-hmm. ever, actually, which mm-hmm. is crazy because I was traveling always so much mm-hmm. when other elections happened in the UK. But, you know, the crazy fact is that UK and the US is not the host of the most world's most refugees. Right. Um, and those countries are actually Pakistan, Iran, Turkey, you know, Iraq. You know, these are countries that are hosts to... Refugees, and they in fact host. It's like seven countries, none of which are developed countries, host eighty percent of the world's refugees. Wow! So, how do they afford it? That's a great point. How do they afford it? And that's camps. And it's interesting as well because camps are really. You know that people always assume that people one hundred percent of refugees are in camps, and actually that's changing a lot. And a lot of people now, in fact, sixty percent of refugees are actually now staying in cities in empty buildings or schools or overcrowding in housing. And so that reduces the costs as well. But we also know that refugees are very self-sufficient. You know, we did this study actually in Turkey, and it was a really fascinating study, and that we learned that for every dollar refugee takes out of the community, they put $3 back in.
1: Wow. So, you know, these Would you are, share that study with us, Yeah, please?
0: absolutely, I will. And, you know, so we know that refugees are incredibly, you know, entrepreneurial. They want to work. They want to provide for their family. And so that's why it's important that we not see refugees as being a drain on society when they come into the United States.
1: So I am just—I could. You have to come back to the show again because we're not going to have enough time. But you know, this is a very important study you're mentioning, where for every one dollar spent on somebody, they are actually generating three dollars exactly. and contributing to society. And which country would you say is actually cashing in on that?
0: Well, I think now it's—you uh, know—Jordan does very well from that because they have a thriving industry. You know, from the refugees, so many refugees and immigrants are in Jordan. I think it's something like—and I. Listeners, call in if I get it wrong. But it's like 60% of the population in Jordan is is actually derived from refugees and immigrants.
1: Wow. So they are really an economic stimulus. Yeah, they are, exactly. You know?
0: And and then we know when they come into the US, again, we work providing, uh, helping refugees get jobs, that we know that within six months, 85% of our refugee clients are actually financially self-sufficient.
1: Within six months? Within six months, which and is what phenomenal. Happens, what happens with, between the zero to six month period?
0: So we help them get on that, get that job. We help them with, you know, part of our work is job, what we call job readiness. Mm -hmm. And so it's helping people prepare for their first job in the United States. Some have got better English than others, but the working environment here culturally is very different, as Mm -hmm. you can imagine. You know, working in a, Uh, in a job in Iraq is can be very different from working in the US. And also not only that, you know, as I'm sure you know, as an immigration lawyer, that are the qualifications of our clients are not actually recognized when they come into the US. So we might have a medical doctor or an engineer. uh, And when they come in electrician, when they come into the United States, they can't actually work in those jobs. Mm -hmm. So we have to try and find the nearest best thing for them. And we work with some phenomenal employers here in, in Seattle. There's some really great, Great uh, companies out there who actually positively recruit refugees. They choose to recruit refugees. That's fantastic.
1: I think Starbucks was in the news not so long ago. Starbucks
0: is in the news. Yeah, they're they're amazing. But there's also many others. You know, small businesses Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't imagine. You know, we have an incredible um, hot dog and burger van that hires refugees. We have. They have a stand at. at the Mariners' Stadium, oh. and they've hired an Iraqi. He was a caterer for the U.S. Army in Iraq, and now he's catering hot dogs for fat hot so, dog, uh, for uh, baseball fans.
1: Fantastic. You know, I, I think our Desi 1250 AM community is very entrepreneurial too. Yeah. And it's often difficult to find people to help with their businesses, I wonder whether people might reach out to you. What, how amazing. do they do that?
0: So we are on our internet, um, rescue forward slash Seattle. Uh, we've been in Seattle for 40 years, so we're well established here. And uh, Or you can go just Google IRC Seattle International Rescue Committee Seattle, and then you'll have all our details come up. We're based down in SeaTac, Gloria SeaTac as I call it, mm-hmm. uh, in the flight path of Alaska Airways. But uh, keeps us, uh, we're close to our refugee families and we're, we're best placed to serve them because that's where most of them live in South King County.
1: So let's say there might be a restaurant or a grocery store that yeah. can they, they can contact, contact you, is they us.
0: Contact uh, us, say they were interested in hiring refugees. Okay. Uh, we have an entire employment team who are amazing. Um, we also, if people are interested in volunteering, it's absolutely possible. We love working with volunteers. So you can either do group efforts. We have a community gardens. We have house setups to help when refugees come in. We provide housing. So we have people, if they'd like to set up a new home for a refugee family, we have all sorts of opportunities. All sorts. okay. Well, and I, we have a community picnic on the 10th of August.
1: Wow, okay. If you are able to give me like five bullet points of the things that our DESI 1250 community Absolutely. could do, yeah. that would be wonderful and I can post it. So there, I do have some very important questions. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have much time. So, so I any, will be brief. So... Um, <laughs> Very briefly, how does a refugee get here? Because one of the concerns right now is they're not vetted enough. And that's far wow. from the truth. So Absolutely. tell us about it a little. So let me start with a bit of statistics.
0: So we're really confident that the refugee vetting process is, is, is very is very good. Why do I say that? So, well, since 1980, when the Refugee Act came in, there's been a little over 3 million refugees that have come into the United States, and not one of them has been involved in either an act of terror or killing a US citizen. So you're actually more likely to be hit by lightning four times than you are to be killed by a refugee. Wow! All right, So we're pretty confident that this is a good uh, process it's it's robust and you know and with the administration is that we're not against they're doing this vetting of the process we're not against the vetting of the process right we are confident that it's that it's effective one of the things we would like to do is say why don't you vet while still people can arrive in country you know because it's that it, the statistics speak for themselves so what is it this is the most heavily vetted group to come into the United States it's actually easier to swim across the Atlantic than it is to come in as a refugee Wow so you actually There are anywhere between uh, 12 to 15 government agencies that are involved in the vetting process. It includes biometrics, in-person interviews, going through databases. Before they come to the US. All of this is done before they come into the United States. They've also had to demonstrate that they are a refugee. In other words, they have a well-founded fear of persecution. And that's done through the UNHCR as well. Afterwards, there's a double verification through the State Department as well. So there is anywhere between 12, 18 to 24 months for this vetting process to take place. And that's if you're lucky to you know, I've got clients, we have clients that some, one person. 17 years it took them to wow. come into the United States. So they were separated from their family for oh, 17 goodness. years. So, yeah, it's a really robust, it is, they are the most secure uh, group of people uh, to come into the United States.
1: So not a lot of time left. We have about four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um What's wrong with the current system the administration has put into place?
0: So we're worried about essentially, you know, it, it's been a very confusing, I think we all agree, it's been a very confusing, um, what is it, seven months. It feels like eternity, but it's seven months. It's been a roller coaster. A roller coaster. <laughs> so there is a cap of 50,000. Uh, Which was reduced from 100,000? 100, 110,000 was the number that had been set, but determined by the president in September of last year. That's the presidential determination. And last year, we invited 85,000 refugees, and that's less than 1% of the world's refugees that get to be resettled, as an FYI. Last year, 140,000 refugees of more than 25 million only got the chance to be resettled around the world. So it's a very few, very few number. So the, what's happened is that, you know, there are two aspects to it. If you have a, what they call a bona fide relationship, uh, which means that, as you know now, the Supreme Court's determined that the extended relationship, including grandparents and others, it can, c- mm-hmm. c- counts as bona fide, then you can come into the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not capped by the 50,000. If you are a, a special immigrant visa holder you can come into the United States, you're not capped by the 50,000. But if you are a refugee that does not have a family here that's counted as bona fide, then you are prevented from coming into the United States. So what happens to that person? So essentially they're put on hold. And then essentially what we know is happening is that their security and their health checks time out. So they have to redo them. So they have to go to the back of the line. So it then extends out the time. And for some, you know, We in Seattle, because we have this phenomenal partnership with Seattle Children's Hospital, shout out to them Mm -hmm. and Harborview, is that we get a lot of very medically needy children uh, come into Seattle. You know, we have, and and really it's a matter if days count for their life. Mm -hmm. You know, we had this one family that came in just before the travel ban came in to effect in January. And if they had been delayed by three days, uh, their son wouldn't have made it.
1: So what you're saying is all these systems, you know, confusing procedures that are put forward that are not necessary necessary. are actually life threatening.
0: They're life threatening. And, you know, they're also sending us a very strong message that the United States is not welcoming people from, you know, majority Muslim countries, mm-hmm. which, you know, as we know, because we work in many of these countries which are on the banned list, is that that just feeds into terrorism. You know, that helps provide very strong rhetoric to whether it's the, you know, Al-Qaeda or Taliban or, or, or um, you know, other terror groups, Al-Shabaab, you know, that feeds into their rhetoric and mm-hmm. it provides a very, very effective recruitment tool. For young people.
1: So, we've really got just almost no time, but I do want to touch on it. I want to say thank you to the IRC for all that you you. do, but also the travel ban period is when really I think America took real notice of IRC because you were at the forefront of all the things that were happening at the airports. So, thank you. And the work goes on, I believe.
0: Well, I would love to, you know, I have to say, um, immigration lawyers have really. You know, this is. There's always a joke about lawyers, right? But this is a time where immigration lawyers have been absolutely phenomenal, and other lawyers. Everybody's really worked together. I mean, there's a silver lining in all of this, in the fact that immigrant grou- immigration groups um, and refugee groups have come together and made a stand together and said, "This is unacceptable. We will not be divided." And that you know, refugees are a form a, a form of immigrant. Mm-hmm. They have a protected status, but they are an immigrant. Mm-hmm. And so to to try and divide and rule with the immigrant. Community and the refugee community we're we're saying that's not acceptable, so right. you know there are amazing amount of people who work so hard during and continue to work really hard and um, so I really want to give a shout out to those all those lawyers who came to the airports to provide free services to clients who really needed it
1: fantastic well airportlawyer.org is something that you know I personally worked on but all my colleagues out there thank you to you as well well thank you so much Nikki Smith for being here I hope you can come back because I could talk to you all day I I love it talking to a fellow (laughs) Brit we can talk about all our (laughs) favourite
0: things we miss from home of course
1: yes crisps I forgot I I have to tell you how I got some crisps salt and vinegar (laughs) so thank you so much listeners and viewers for joining us today and thank you again to Nikki Smith for being here we will see you bright and early Tuesday next week to talk about more immigration and if you have questions and comments info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com bye bye